Riseboro's performance is nothing short of spectacular. She doesn't compromise, she doesn't hold back, but she doesn't endow the character with any sort of fake flamboyance. That is a great blurb from one of my favorite film critics, Owen Gleiberman of Variety, and he's talking about Two Leslie. That's right, the very controversial film nominated for Best Actress Andrew Riseboro. And I feel like my masterpiece is complete. I can take a deep breath. I've seen all the movies now nominated for Best Picture, Director, Actor, Actress, Supporting Actress, Supporting Actress, Original Screenplay, Adapted Screenplay, and away we go. Paid seven bucks to watch it on Apple Plus, but it was outstanding. I can't wait to talk about it. That is our new movie this week. Got a bunch of new movies this week. I threw out a potential old to Chris because you know what? We've got a lot of new movies to talk about. And here's the good news. I paid seven bucks for that one, but you can watch all the rest of these for free on YouTube. You ready? All Oscar-nominated films. Best documentary short film, Stranger at the Gate, which we're going to talk about in depth. Haul Out, which if you love your walruses, you're going to love that movie. <laughs> Two animated short movies, Ice Merchants and The Flying Sailor, and the best live-action short nominee, Night Ride. All five of those movies available on YouTube. We're talking about those. And we also hope to have an interview here with Joshua Seftel, who is the director of Stranger at the Gate, which I was particularly blown away by. Next week, just to tease ahead, Tulsa King, Sylvester Stallone show. Binge-watched all nine episodes of season one with my wife. So we're doing a little TV next week. Not just Tulsa King. But also, Night Court. John Larroquette, my guy, four-time <laughs> Emmy Award winner. The fifth episode of Night Court is airing this week. I'd love to tell you it's great, but I'll give you all my Night Court thoughts next week. We'll do our TV talk, uh, one of my favorite shows. I've also been teasing Scott Rogowski. Rags is going to be here. We have a confirmed date. Late February is here. The reason why we're trying to get the right date, maybe you've seen the trailer by now. CNN Films is releasing a movie called Glitch. It's all about the rise and fall of HQ, which, of course, was Rags' thing. I mean, he was he was the guy. He was everywhere. He was on Colbert. He met De Niro. He, I think he was on The View. He was everywhere. I mean, uh, Good Morning America. It looks like a really good documentary. Scott has told me, I believe I may have a cameo. Now, I was not interviewed for it, but he goes, ah, there might be a shot of you at one point when we're discussing DAZN and change. So fingers crossed, I will be on CNN. I believe the documentary premieres March 5th, so we will get rags in the last week of February. Cody, were you ever an HQ guy? Were you aware of this whole phenomenon? I myself was yeah. not. Okay. I played it a handful of times. I would, I didn't get like, I wouldn't say I got swept up in it, but me and my wife definitely took a crack at it. But wasn't it something where everyone ended up splitting seven bucks because like <laughs> there would be, there'd be like a hundred winners? Yeah, I mean, they go into it. I mean, if you just watch the trailer, the, the one big thing is that there, it was just oh, too popular. Like, it was just overwhelmingly popular. And then the system crashed. People started getting yeah. mad because, you know, things were falling apart. And then, then they yeah. went to personal issues, the crater and cocaine and drugs. And I mean, the trailer's great. So I can't wait to go watch Glitch. It's going to be on, once again, CNN Films, I believe, in March 5th. So Rags will be here on the podcast to hype that up. I, I believe one of the producers of HQ was a fan of our show because there were multiple times where stuff we had talked about on the show ended up being semi-HQ questions, and then we'd get a bunch of people tagging us. Like, I think there was somebody in that world that listened to our show. Had to be, especially if it was like an animal question. Like, okay, these guys are listening to Ron McGill. Like, too oddly specific. Yeah, yeah, that's... <laughs> John Amici just discussed this. Why is this yeah. guy showing up at HQ? <laughs> that's funny. Um, anyways, that talk looks awesome, so Rags is going to be here. A quick Super Bowl update. Super Bowl is coming up this Sunday, as uh, the football fans are aware, listening to our podcast. I mentioned last week what to do, and, and Cody gave great advice. He goes, why don't you just stay local? So I, I did text my good friend Kevin Nagandi, who is Philadelphia's foremost sports fan, does a great job on sports center, still doing the 6 p.m. sports center. He went to the Super Bowl in Minnesota years ago when Philly was there. I said, I'm sure you're going again. I just need your advice. He grew up in Phoenixville, which is a suburb of Pennsylvania, and I said, where do I go? Yusuf's 14, Shaz is 6. Nagandi, again, this is a Philly guy. He goes, 
don't come to South Philadelphia. Don't yeah. do it. He goes, they're greasing up the poles. Like, your six-year-old son is going to be trampled. Like, no, don't do it. I, I like the New York idea. I'm like, okay, so Cody, get the win. He's like, yeah, stay in, in your area. If you really want to come to the Philly area like a suburb, you know, like a Cherry Hill, Buffalo Wild Wings, but I, you don't want to come to Philadelphia. Win or yeah. lose, it's going to be a bad scene. You, you have children with you. Now, the only thing I would push back on that is in Philly, there's going to be a ton of bars that are that are Eagles bars because everything in Philly, whereas the one New York, you better get there early if you're going to the one New York Eagles bar. Like I'd get there when they open, like literally. So, so, so that's Rob the dangerous Lemley, game of the one place in New York. Yeah, our man Lem, avid listener, cinephile, he merely a message because, hey, my buddy is a huge Eagles fan. So he goes, the spot to go to is this place. It's called Old Town, O-L-D-E. And any Eagles fans will know immediately. It's 28th and Madison. They have another location, 42nd and 9th. So that's Midtown. I, go, I like the Midtown better. But exactly what you just said, he goes, listen, it, it's all Philly all the time. Cheesesteaks and the music and the vibe and everything. But NFC Championship game was at 3. They opened the doors at 11, and they stopped yeah. letting people in at 12.30. So yeah. Super Bowl is at 6.30. I would be there at 2.30. Like, get there four hours in advance. Which and is that, rough and, with two kids. Yeah, <laughs> like, that, that's exactly my thought. I go, a 14-year-old, like, yeah, okay, like, he might watch the pregame. My si- you want my 6-year-old kid just to sit there for four hours? <laughs> bring that tablet. I'm like, I'm going to bring that iPad. There's no question about it. And, <laughs> and, and, and let's be honest. My backup plan is this. I want him to go there. And at the very least, we're going to be standing outside seeing – 50 to 100 Eagles fans. Let's yeah. say we hang for an hour and we can't get in and it's cold. We go, okay, we're just going to go home now. Like at least, did you right. get a sense of what it's like to see all of our flock yeah. of Eagles fans? Okay, cool. You're five, you're six, you're not going to remember this anyways. Let's just go home. So listen, let's be honest. Whereas if I'm in Philly, I'm committed. Right? If I go there and I'm like, okay, now I'm stuck in Philadelphia here. I'm like, hey, I can just always go home and hang out in Paramus. Do you have any Eagles friends that you can invite over? So I asked my buddy Zach, who's my neighbor, and he is emphasizing that I go to the game. And I was like, no, dude, it's $5,000 or something. Like, what are you nuts? And he's like, he's like, no, we got to go. And I'm like, no, he's going, he might try to take his dad. Dad's like 80 years old. I'm like, dude, I don't know if like that's four hour (laughs) flight. Like you're putting your pops through a lot here. Like this nice big screen TV. But I I think, I think a lot of people are kind of just, I get trying to maximize the moment, but. You're with me. You know what it's like when you have a young daughter. Like, I, if the Dolphins win the Super Bowl, yeah, you'd want to go. But I'm like, not necessarily at all costs. The money's not the issue. Like, right. I'll go just me. But it's like, am I going to spend 15 grand if it's five grand a ticket? Like for my six year old? No. <laughs> like it's, it starts to make you think when you said 15 grand. Like, what are the things I can get for 15 grand? Right. Like, I could take an incredible trip to like Spain. Oh. Like, Great vacation. Like a, like, a, like a ridiculous vacation, like $500 night hotel. Like yeah. we can do Disney World twice for $15,000. Yeah. It's like my kids would be enthralled like, over a game and my team may not win. It's just, it, it's a lot of risk versus reward, but whatever. Either way, hopefully my guys come through and win. Uh, I had a nice event last week. My wife and I went to the BBWAA. That's the Baseball Writers Association of America dinner. So it was nice for her. She's not a huge baseball fan, but just got out of the house, obviously, break from the kids. So we go there and we see my buddy Tim Kirchin. This was why when you mentioned you people had an ALS joke that I cringed, my dear friend Sarah Langs, who's a great researcher our years at ESPN, a year ago she disclosed that she has been battling ALS. Yeah. So she had called me a year ago and told me this. And all of us, like the inner circle kept it quiet. And then when Kirchin got in the Hall of Fame, Sarah was there in a wheelchair. Still wasn't publicly revealed. And I'm talking to like the guys, obviously ESPN yeah. guys. I'm like, she hasn't said it yet. So Sarah went public with her diagnosis this past November. So the baseball yeah. community has really rallied around her now. She's- I believe the the podcast, uh, Mike Schur's podcast on this network, they're yeah. doing fundraiser work for ALS yeah. for her. It's awesome. So I was ha- really happy to see Sarah there. And I saw her parents, uh, Lizanne and Charlie, who are both doctors. 
Now, this is like literally a room full of all these baseball superstars. They're the only two there with masks. And I did have to laugh. I go, this is a little odd. Like, you're the, you're the two who are doctors, and you still have masks on. Perhaps I should be taking a, a, you know, a roll out of you. But they're, they're super nice people. Her mom is so nice. She remembered how much I love milk duds. So years ago when I was working with Sarah, she was like, hey, send this in for Adnan for Father's Day. Two big boxes of milk duds. So as soon as That's I saw her, awesome. I just want you to know, it was eight years ago, but I never forgot those milk duds. It was incredibly generous of you. And uh, obviously, Sarah is awesome. Like, she's such a great writer, and it's... it's it's horrible to get this diagnosis, but she is so optimistic. And the way the baseball world has rallied, I mean, one thing about baseball, Chris knows this as an avid baseball fan. ALS is something that's really impacted the community. Our friend Boog Shambi, mm-hmm. uh, his friend Pete Freitz died of ALS, and uh, Tim Kirchner's brother right now is battling ALS. Like, it's, it's a cause yeah. that seems to be everywhere. So it's, uh, it was really, really great to see Sarah, and I, I'm, I'm encouraging all those who are, who are donating and being very generous in that cause. On an entertainment tip, my wife kept saying, who are we going to see here? Like, you know, celebrities. I said, well, Kate Upton's going to be here. So we did see Kate Upton briefly. And as I said to her at one point, like, I go, this whole room has seen her, like, in a bikini. Like, so imagine what that must be like. And she's like, they've seen more than that, haven't they? I go, no, she hasn't done, like, Playboy. She's done Sports Illustrated. <laughs> and Verlander's, like, you know, tossing bouquets to her and stuff. And beautiful purple dress. But I'm more excited to see Spike Lee. Spike's on the other side. He's presenting Aaron Judge with his MVP award. So I couldn't quite get to Spike. And I love him. But odd, meandering speech. He goes up there, talks about how much... You know, Brooklyn guy, how much he loved the Mets growing up, which I had never known. He starts going with the 69 Mets, and he's literally reciting the entire roster. So it's like this. He's like, left field, Don Clendenin. I'm like, <laughs> shortstop, my man, getting it done. Tom Seaver, Tom, terrific, on the mound. I'm like, and he's, he's literally going through every role. I'm like, okay, like, where are we going with this? How is this getting the Aaron Judge winning MVP? Right. Basically, says he flipped to being a Yankees fan because of Jeter. I'm like, what? I'm like, I thought for sure you were a Reggie Jackson fan. That's why you're a Yankees fan in the 70s. But no, apparently, was a Mets fan, became a Yankees fan because of Jeter in the dynasty, and now loves Aaron Judge. I'm like, wow. Big Fake take ass like Yankees Lee. fan, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Spike Lee, you basically, is a carpetbagger. I'm like, okay. Aaron Judge is no, great, that'd be, though. That'd be like if he switched to the Nets right now because of Durant. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, he's like, yeah, love the Knicks my whole life, but now I'm on the Nets. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Uh, Judge is great. My wife loves him. I know your wife's a Yankees fan, her family, so Judge is great, very charismatic, polished. But the guy I couldn't wait to see, Hank Azaria, Brock Meyer himself, and fan of the show. So as soon as, and I said to my wife, I go, we kind of have a choice here, because Spike was on one side, and Azaria, I go, I've interviewed Azaria a few times. I don't think he knows my name, but like he'll know my face if we start talking. Spike Lee might just blow us off. So I'm going to go with Azaria. Go over to his area. And sure, didn't know my name, but knew my face. I was like, hey, he's like, hey, how you been, man? Good, good. I was like, I interviewed you a few times on Brockmire. You came to ESPN. I flew to Vegas one time. I interviewed you. Man, and like, he's like, oh, no, I remember. remember. Yeah, like, Once you yeah. jog the memory, right? Like, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. How you been? Good to see you. Like, yeah. Or he's just being nice, but either way. Right. Could be just playing along. But, but, but I dropped <laughs> enough names. I was like, oh, Adam Freifeld. He's like, yep, yep. That was his PR guy. I'm like, okay. Did you drop guy's... the LAF thing? Because he's got did, the Brockmire podcast. I know. Podcast. I should have brought up LAF. Did not bring up LAF. But Started discussing Brock Meyer and just his roles and stuff. And my wife starts talking to him. And the best thing about Hank Azari is, like, he just gets it. Like, as soon as I just give him a little nibble, he'll go for it. Meaning, I adore Pacino, as everyone knows, and my wife does as well. And I just said, hey, and I already know the answer, but I just know he'll do it. So I go, hey, my wife's a huge fan, Hank. She just wants to know, like, isn't Mo the bartender based on Pacino? And just, boom, he slips in the character. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was <laughs> kind of based on, like, a, a, a kind of a young Pacino, you know, kind of like that. He goes, actually, when I used to do Mo, I would do Mo all the time. He goes, he goes, and then he goes back to Hank's voice. He's like, yeah, yeah. exactly. Actually, email Pacino at one point. I go, would you do Mo's grandfather in The Simpsons? I go, that's unbelievable. He's like, yeah, because he said no, but, he, but it's like, but it's amazing if I got Al Pacino to be on The Simpsons. I'm like, yeah. But he could just flip it on the characters. And yeah. I said to my wife, I go, make sure you tell him, because I go, he's taking a lot of heat from the South Asian community. Again, the aforementioned Kevin Agandhi, who I love, but a lot of people don't like the fact he did Apu. Like, he's taking yeah. a lot of heat. There, there's a documentary called The Trouble with Apu. Right. And like, uh, 
you know, Azaria gets lambasted in there. And I go, I've always defended him for this. It was not his choice. Like, he was an actor in the 80s. They had a voice of an Indian-American actor. They got him to do the voice. And then later on, a lot of South Asians said, hey, I got called up who in school or I was offended and stuff. And I'm like, that was not Hank Azaria's fault intent or fault yeah right. exactly i'm like and and i and i said so I tell, i'm telling my wife all this backstory go make sure you say it to him because he is very sensitive about it so she goes just so you know she goes i love apu it's a great character and immediately you can see the the relief on his face he's like yeah i guess yeah he goes listen today there's a lot of other voice actors who are of indian descent so they would have people back then it was like hey because i've done literally over a hundred characters in the simpsons Right. He goes, Robin Williams would do like a Jewish guy when I was a kid. I wasn't crazy about whatever. He's just, it's just an accent. Like it's a satire. He goes, but I, right. but I'm sensitive to the issue. Like I get it. I go, hey, hey, we're on your side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just started getting, yeah. just by, he, by seeing you two, he was like thinking I need to be defensive. He's like, oh wait, they said they liked it. Oh, they said they liked it. <laughs> like, dude, love it. I go, Apu's hilarious. He's a hardworking guy. He's got like nine kids. Yeah, runs a convenience store. I'm like, I love Apu. He's awesome. And I said to him, I go, he was like the first brown face I saw on TV. So trust me, I don't care if it's a caricature or a stereotype. It was just fun to have some representation. There's right. one of us on TV. Okay, Apu, whatever it is. So Hank is very great guy. And uh, yeah, I should have mentioned LAF afterwards. I'm like, but anyways, good dude. And by the way, after we walk away, couldn't have been nicer. I mean, his wife, his son. And I said to my wife, I go, we could have talked for 10 minutes. Like, he he was just going. Like, he was just being polite. And eventually, go, hey, we'll let you go. You got things to do. Like, yeah. Jerry Francona, we talked for a minute. He was happy to see me. And he's like, all right, we're going to go get a drink. Like, I'm not going to talk to you all night. I'm like, all right, Tito, <laughs> good to see you. Bam. Buck show all through five minutes. Okay, nice. But afterwards, I said to my wife, I go, how much money do you think Hank Azaria has? And she goes, why? I go, I bet you he has like $50 million to make. I go, he just said. Oh, at least. He's done over 100 Simpsons characters, 20 to 30 recurring. As you're Googling right now, I want the audience to all guess themselves. How much? I go, voiceover work? And that guy is so talented. And the Simpsons have been on for like 30 years. I said, we just talked to a guy who might have $100 million. The, net, the, the internet says 90. Yeah. Now, the internet is never wrong. So we know that the Google is correct. Right. But I'm telling you, man, that guy is... Let's see what Adnan Verk's net worth is on the internet. <laughs> it's going to be wrong. $10 million. Let's see. This is exciting. Survey says. Oh, the internet. The internet. There's some sites that, that, that have a range between one and five million. <laughs> this is and there's insane. one, there's one it... website. There's one website here that says 1.6 and another one that says one. Jeez. Give my guy some credit. I, I don't have one. If I had one, do you really think I'd be discussing whether I could go to a Super Bowl? Like, do you really think? I'd be like, I have a That's million true. dollars. I'm going to go to the Eagle Super Bowl. Instead, I'm talking about going to New York City, Old Town Cheesesteaks, showing up four hours early. Trust me. If I had a million sites, dollars in my bank account, yeah. you would know. These sites don't realize that people spend money. Like, yeah. yes. All right. Maybe in my life, yeah, I've acquired I made this. a million dollars. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Even five. But I've spent yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have, have a four, mortgage. I have four children. I have two cars. <laughs> well, says here he's got $5 million. I think he's lying. He, he gets his car done when some guy on the street's like, hey, I can do it for you right now. <laughs> <laughs> that does not seem like a guy with a net worth of $5 million. That seems like a guy with a net worth of $5. Justin Verlander's not doing that. No. Uh, before we get into the movies, I want a quick story from you. How was the All Star Game? The All Star Game, uh, I believe, were we talking about this on air before? Uh, that this was it, off. We were talking. A hockey All Star Game took place. It was a horrible sports weekend. Like I mean, all weekend I, go, I can't believe I'm watching this. And it's the All Star Game, lame, three on three, mailing it in. I watched the yeah. Pro Bowl, even worse. I go, God, yeah. I cannot wait till the Super Bowl is back on. It was really whack. Uh, like it was fun seeing people. The media day stuff were fun. The fan fest was fun. Live, didn't love it. And that's one of those things. Hockey, what do they always say? And live, it's always better. Like on TV, yeah. you're watching, you go, it's cool. Like, oh, dude, hockey live, like you can really appreciate it. For you to say live, didn't love it. Ugh. That's all I need to know. It was brutal. It was, it, I don't know. And I don't know how they can fix it. Just tighten it up. I mean, it's the simple answer, but I don't know how they do it. But yeah, but a it was, win for South Florida. Were people buzzing about hockey on the streets of Fort Lauderdale, Miami? Uh, 
know. The, yeah, the beach was cool. Like, you know, the crowds at the skills in the game weren't great. So, uh, you know. Ugh. Like next year, I, I don't want to be too. I don't want to be overly critical, but it was, you know, it was not a. It was not a great weekend. The reason I'm at next year, Toronto. So I got to go just to just to go home. I'm just going to try to yeah. squeeze a trip out of the bosses. But I, I just could tell, like the atmosphere. I'm like, I don't, you know, it's cool. Yeah. Like you said, it's the beach, but it is what it is. All right, let's get to what is cool. To Leslie, inspired by true events, a West Texas single mother wins the lottery and squanders it just as fast, leaving behind a world of heartbreak. Years later, with her charm running out and nowhere to go, she fights to rebuild her life and find redemption. So you think, like, kind of heard that story before, right? Down on her luck. Down and outer, tries to get rise back to the top. And it is true that the old axiom, you know, every story has been told at some point in time. Like, you know, every movie has been there. But I'm telling you, when you watch a film that's done this well and a performance that's it's good, it really makes you feel alive with the possibilities of what a great actor can do. That's as strong an endorsement I can give to Andrea Riseborough, to Leslie. A little bit of a backstory for those maybe you're not listening to previous episodes of Cinephiles. So the Academy Award nominations come out. Andrea Riseborough, shocking. Like the gasps from the crowd there in attendance when Riz Ahmed announced it. Gasps from me on my couch. Like what? The only time I'd even heard about this movie was a week prior to the Oscar nominations when Kate Blanchett won the Oscar, excuse me, the Critics' Choice Award for Best Actress. And while listing other great nominees, mentioned Andrea Riseborough to Leslie. I'm like, I don't know what that movie is, but oh, oh wait, it got nominated for Best Actress. Like, what? This movie, $100,000 budget, tiny indie movie, came out last November, played in a couple theaters, but it, what has now become a very controversial campaign, hit up every person she knows, the director, Michael Morris, Ryan Bonacco, the writer, the producers, they, they called every person in Hollywood, please watch our film, here's the screening, here's this, we'll get you this, we'll get you that, and some have said that these tactics went over the line. I read an article about it the other day. They go, listen, there's one hand you say, nothing matters more to an actor than an Oscar nomination. Do what you can to get your movie seen. The other side says that she came across as unnecessarily thirsty. I read another article said, this is what all the Oscar nominations do. Like, are you kidding? That, that's, that's why they make these kinds of movies, especially movies like this. They're not making any money. So the only way they're going to get any sort of notoriety, any sort of attention on the Cinephile Movie Podcast is if they get an Oscar nomination. So this works their weight in gold. So if they have to call one voter 10 times in a week, they'll do it. They'll go, hey, there's a screening next Wednesday. Can you come? Hey, can you come next Thursday morning? I can send you a screener. I, I can bring it to your house right now. Like, the, I, I don't really know what they did wrong here. What's like, wrong with that? Yeah. It's just, like, yeah. I get the annoying part. Danielle Deadweiler got screwed out of a nomination for Till, but I'm like, that, then, then the campaign should have been stronger for Till. Like, Viola Do Davis, we think that Till didn't send the movie around to people? Yeah, like, exactly. Like, everyone's doing their own campaign. I guess their campaigning was better, right? To Leslie. Now, and maybe they're saying it was a little bit aggressive or unnecessary or haranguing members. Where's the line? Say. Where's the line? If there's no line, then right. there's no line. There's no exact line. <laughs> And the bottom line is this. What did they say a week ago? We're having an investigation. What was the result of the investigation? She's keeping her Oscar nomination. They yeah. weren't going to strip her of the nomination. Hey, you went a little too far. Well, okay, sorry. I still got yeah. the Oscar nomination, didn't I? And Viola Davis still has an Oscar. And my issue is not with Viola Davis. Again, if you want to look at her company, right? The product, whoever made The Woman King, those producers, maybe they should have done a better job campaigning. Who knows? Danielle Deadwilder should have been nominated for Tail ahead of Anna Diarmas for Blonde. We can all agree on that. Blonde's a terrible movie. But... Let's get back to Two Leslie, which is, and now that I've seen the movie, I'm like, no, this is a movie that should have been rewarded. I, I'm thrilled that she got an Oscar nomination. In fact, on my personal ballot, as I've said, I'm not big on tar, and I finally found somebody else. My buddy John LeBoy also texted me, because, dude, tar, couldn't have been more boring. I'm like, all right, good, we have three people now. Me, Ben Wankwitz, and LeBoy, down on tar. <laughs> he goes, ugh, two and a half hours, concert freaking conductor. I'm like, yeah. So to me, I, I think 
Michelle Yeoh should win because she's fabulous in everything, everywhere, all at once. All I did not like her speech, the Golden Globes, and I ripped her on it. And Chris put it on social. But I think the second best nominee is Andrea Riseborough for Chelesty. This is a great performance. The movie starts out, you see her when she actually wins the lottery. Again, based on true story, which I was unaware of. You see her winning the check. It's $180,000 she wins. And the reporter's like, hey, what are you going to do? She's like, oh, it's so great. She goes, look, my son, my son's over here. I got... By the way, British actress. Had no idea. Watched the film. I'm like, oh, my God. I thought she was from Arkansas. Here's my son. I got the winning ticket together. Next shot. Booze hound. You just see her like, okay, life was not good to her. Hung over. Let's go to the bar. Have a few drinks. Away we go. And the movie really puts you in that element. And I, I talked about previously on Causeway. Again, I think it was Gleiberman who was talking about how there's that indie feel to it, right? That kind of melodic score, glammed up actress, glammed down. Chris mentioned Monsters Ball, Monsters, similar thing. Well, this is kind of like that indie movie where you can tell they have no money. <laughs> And it's like, it's just bare bones budget, but it works because the film itself is very gritty and it's a gritty character. She is destitute. She needs money. She is a character who goes, well, the first thing is you go see her visit her son and he picks her up and you see him later talking. They're like a thrift shop. He's getting his mom clothes and she's just like strung out, right? Like not like, you can tell she's like a drug addict, but like hasn't slept in a while. Hair's all stringy, face is drawn, gaunt. And so he's talking to someone going, yeah, she doesn't look good. But he's like, you know, I'm going to get her some stuff. We'll figure it out. And this guy looks like he was maybe 20. So he picks her up some clothes. She's like, oh, let's have a couple beers. He's like, no. She kind of makes a joke. I'm like, okay, obviously she's an alcoholic. They go back, smoke a little weed together. And he says to her, hey, mom, you can stay here for a couple days, like until you get your plans going, but like no booze. And she's like, yeah, no booze. We're good. All right, no problem. The next day, she goes to work. he goes to work. <laughs> boom. She's like rifling through his pants, going to get some money. Go, go. He's got a roommate, goes through his money. Oh, boom, boom, bam. Next thing, she's got, oh, hey, let's have a six-pack. She's just boosting up, smoking cigarettes. I'm like, geez, this lady's got some issues. That night, this is after son, she won. This is after she won 180K? Yeah, so she's the movie picks up. Like, that happened a few years ago. This is like whatever. Oh, so she's like hey, blown the money. She's correct, gone through yeah, 18 months okay. she's blown all the money. Now, now she's just destitute. So her sons, you know, they're having a little bit of a connection the next day. But eventually, the roommate figures it out. Like, hey, she's stealing money from us and whatever. So he goes back, looks under the mattress, a couple of bottles of booze. That's it. Mom, you're out. Like, 10 minutes in, intense scene of a, of a son disowning his own mother. Like, I, I can't deal with this. You squandered the money from the lottery. You, you, you denied me an adolescence because you're an alcoholic. Now, I'm not even 21 because I can't even drink. And I have to look after you because you're an alcoholic. Like, I can't have you here. Like, get out of here. So he calls someone, and you're not really sure who the person is, but talk about two great actors I was not expecting. Again, I knew nothing about this film going in, except for the controversy. Allison Janney, Academy Award winner. Love her. I, Tanya, And Stephen Root. Love him on Barry. He plays Dutch, and of course, news radio. So they, unrecognizable. Dutch shows up, like, uh, bandana, like a biker guy. He's like, we're taking you in for a couple nights, only because that boy called us. You're, you're a rotten person. We know that. And Allison Janney just looks like just shooting daggers at her. I'm like, okay, it's either her sister, maybe like her lifelong friend. I'm like, but you can, like, the, the, you can tell the animus there is palpable. Anyways, what's going to happen? Of course, Leslie's a drunk. So she's going to steal some money. They get, get, they get tired of her. They just leave her suitcase outside. She has a couple of good rants. You mother effers goes on. I can't take it. Eventually, we're only 30 minutes of the movie. She is a vagabond. She's homeless. She's sleeping inside a hotel. And then who shows up? Was not expecting. WTF. That's right. His podcast. Mark Marin shows up. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Mark Marin's in this movie. Mark Marin comes in. Hey, lady. He's like banging on a pot. You can't be here. Come on. You can't sleep outside. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. You got to go. Let's go. All right. I had too much to drink. Come on. But he sees her lingering. He sees her, and he just has a heart of gold, a little bit of compassion. He goes, hey, uh, uh, lady, I don't know why I'm going to help you, but I, I got a job for you. She's like, what? He's like, 
It's 10 bucks. I love how he does this. He goes, it's 10 bucks an hour. Actually, make it seven. Like, he can already tell 10 bucks is too much. He goes, 10 bucks, make it seven. Um, it just, because I run this little motel here, just, just clean the sheets, help customers with their, with their suitcases and stuff. It's a real easy job for you. He's like, you're offering me a job? He's like, yeah, seven bucks an hour. Just, you know, you get free room and board. Like, just looking to help you out. I'm like, wow, heart of gold. And I'm like, how, how quickly is she going to screw this guy? So she sets him up. He sets her for the hotel. She's like, can I, sorry, you said how much was it? He's like, Seven bucks an hour. He's like, just can I get an advance? He's like, yeah, no problem. I'm like, oh my god! Like the way she swindles people, whether it's her own son, whether it's a family member, some random dude at a motel. He's like, uh, he gives her a fifty dollar bill, and she's like, I'll just take the ten. Even she knows I shouldn't take the fifty. I'm gonna have alcohol poisoning by the morning. I'll just take a couple twenties from you. Thanks. Goes up to the bar, gets drunk. Predictably, again, next morning. He needs her to clean the sheets. She sleeps in. She goes, oh, sorry, sorry. I was a little tired. All right, no problem. She cleans up a little bit. He's checking the hotel. He's like, hey, you're not, like, you got to really clean the sheets. You know what I mean? Like, you got to wipe this, like, what am I paying you for? It's like, all right, sorry, sorry, no problem. Again, that night, boosts it up. You can see the familiar habit here, but if you ask anybody who has ever dealt with an alcoholic, anybody who's ever dealt with substance abuse, this is the cycle, right? They seem like they're okay. They seem redemptive. They say the right words, then boom, down the chute right. it goes. And Marin eventually, his patience gets tied. She is so drunk at the bar one night. She gets into it with Allison. Janie, who sees her there, you kicked me out of your house, blah, blah, blah. Shows up at some random dude's house. He's going to pick her up. And just when he is going to kick her out, meaning Mark Barron is going to kick her out of the hotel and go, hey, I'm sorry, this was an experiment, didn't work. That's when she kind of sees rock bottom. She goes through some of her stuff. She sees a picture of her and her son, and she's like, I got to clean up. And those are always the scenes. When you watch these movies, whether it's you know, Requiem for a Dream or Drugstore Cowboy, Leaving Las Vegas, great Nicolas Cage movie about alcoholism, those are always the scenes you go, man, it looks fun when they're boozing it up, but when you got to clean up, and she starts making herself puke. She's got the shakes. She's got all this sort of withdrawal she's going through. And so you have a really nice, heartfelt story and a real connection with those two characters. Because eventually you start to realize, why is Mark Maron's character Sweeney so interested in her? And he says, you know, I was married once, but my wife had the same issue with booze. Like, I could tell. Like, it was, it's written all over your face. I could yeah. tell. And he's like, you know, and he's like, oh, did she clean up? He's like, yeah. He goes, she cleaned up, found God, found Jesus, went to the church. Then the pastor fell in love with her. He's, she's like, oh. He's like, so she left with him. And he's like, but now I still see my daughter once in a while. We figured it out. He's like, but I'm happy. She's cleaned up. And then she kind of says to him, like, why, why, are you, like, why are you doing this for me? Because now she has cleaned up. She seems like she's redemptive. And he's like, well, isn't it obvious by now? It's really nice, actually, tender scene between the two of them. But then you're going to get some fireworks because he wants her to go to the town hall and you know, have a little fun. And then Allison Jenny shows up. I will say no more except to say those two actors going at it after Andrea Riseborough has cleaned up and Allison Jenny, who is not willing to let her off the hook for blowing $180,000 in lottery earnings, being a horrible mother, it's like, no, no, we're going to have it out now. So they have yeah. some great fireworks together. And uh, it's a really impressive way and a hell of a performance. And I thought Gleiberman's blurb is accurate because, again, if you think of, like, alcoholics in movies, it's really hard to make it go awry because a lot of these characters just are so over the top or, or they slur their words too much. It's so obvious. But, but Riseboro, like, when she's drinking, you can tell she's taking no real joy in it. It's just like, you know, to her, it's almost medicinal. Like, this yeah. is just who I am. I'm a drunk. She's not like reveling in it. Like, ah, let's party. It's like, no, no, I got to get drunk. I'm a mess of a person. She's just drowning in self-loathing and disgust. And you don't know how she blew the 180 grand. You just know that she blew it and you're assuming it's all on booze. But it's a hell of a performance. I'm so glad she got recognized. Maybe it was a controversial campaign, but I tell you what, it's a great film. Richard Roper, Chicago Sun-Times. To be sure, Leslie is her own worst enemy, but she has a disease and there's still time. Maybe just enough time for her to find the path to recovery. We hold deep hope for that redemption. That's Richard Roper, Chicago Sun-Times. And David Ehrlich of IndieWire. 
To Leslie, it doesn't always make things easy, but it's deeply touching to watch the film's characters learn how to share their mutual good fortune. One criticism, I thought the last five minutes didn't totally buy what they're going for. Listen, a story like this, you know they're going to look for, if not a happy ending, a redemptive angle, and I'm not that much of a crank that I want to see her continue to be an alcoholic, but I just thought it was a little bit of a stretch the way that the last five minutes of the film. But excellent performance. Rave review, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, mm. it's uh, definitely one of the most well-reviewed movies of the year, and again, totally worthy of that nomination. And I would like to see a little pub for the other Like, I had no idea. Mark Maron is great in this movie. I know he's in some dramatic roles. Allison Janney, obviously, I mentioned Stephen Root, so really strong cast, and hopefully, uh, hopefully more acclaim all the way around. That is to Leslie, which I'm giving three and a half Maple Leafs. Let's fire through a few of these shorts before we get to our director and our special guest, a stranger at the gate. Which of the shorts did you see? I, I had texted, emailed Cody, and I even put the length next to these. So you tell me, Haul Out, Ice Merchants, The Flying Sailor, or Night Ride? Which one do you I want saw to the first? flying penis. Okay, let's do The Flying Sailor. The Flying Sailor <laughs> does unfortunately feature a nude man. Now here's the thing, when, you, when you're watching these shorts... And again, I mentioned, these are all on YouTube. They're available for free. The best news about these is you're not paying any money. The second best news is they're short. Yeah. <laughs> so if you don't like it, you go, well, that was 10 minutes of my time. I can fire through these. And, and you can, YouTube has the ability to speed stuff up, so you can watch it even faster. <laughs> so here's the story. The Flying Sailor, the filmmakers Amanda Forbes and Wendy Tilby drew inspiration from the Halifax explosion in 1917, in which a steamship loaded with explosives detonated following a collision. The film depicts a sailor who is ripped from his perfectly normal day and launched into the sky, making it an exhilarating meditation, the wonder and fragility of being. Right. It's just kind of like this guy, there's a big explosion, and then this sailor who had clothes on is all of a sudden floating through the air naked, and his little penis is flopping around. And, <laughs> and by the way, it's not like he's Jack. He's an overweight he's overweight. Guy, guy hanging out. Yeah, exactly. He's overweight. His penis is not proportional. Poor, poor guy. It's just that that's that's all I took away from it is that there was a, 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 a penis flopping around on YouTube. How was this allowed? How was this not censored? Yeah, it was um, like that hand-drawn kind of crude animation. And, and you're right. Like, what, what is the purpose of it? Like, he's kind of just And then he ends up next to a fish at the end. Yeah, that part was awful. I go, like, I don't need the fish at the end. Like, he's, <laughs> he's just kind of examining his life, looking at his life. I mean, listen, it was short. And I guess it drew inspiration from the Halifax explosion, which I was not aware of back in 1917. <laughs> what I thought was much better was Ice Merchants, which is its competitor in the animated short film. This, in Jao Gonzalez and Bruno Catano's Ice Merchants, a father and son share a cozy but vulnerable home precariously situated at the top of an icy cliff. What seems at first to be a whimsical portrait of parachuting ice harvesters ultimately tells a much deeper story, one revealed without dialogue using only music and animation. You didn't see this one, did you? No. Very good. I liked it. Nice father and son <laughs> story. Again, especially right now, we have no snow here in the Northeast. It's felt like an odd winter, although this past weekend was just biting cold, like minus two. I was like, yeesh, that's, that's Fahrenheit. I'm used to my Celsius. It was minus 20 Celsius. But this is a nice story. Good father and son story. They're doing things together. And again, I always appreciate a short because they'll, they'll often do this. They're artistic in nature, and they'll try to do things that will kind of stretch the form of cinema, which is, I guess, a unique way of saying there's no dialogue. It's just father and son, <laughs> music, and they're just kind of telling the story of motion pictures and what's happening with father and son. Sweet story, 15 minutes long. I enjoyed it. Liked it more, much more than The Flying Sailor. Uh, Haul Out, which you started to watch and then stopped because I told you don't bother. Directed <laughs> by the sister and brother filmmaking team Evgenia Arbogueva and Maxim Arbogueva, follows a marine biologist living in the Siberian Arctic as he chronicles the planet's largest walrus haul out. If you like your walruses, the gathering of thousands of these marine mammals is a consequence of climate change. 
Warming seas have forced the walruses to congregate on land where stampedes and trampling can result in fatalities. Now, that's an important <laughs> cause. I can appreciate walrus. I mean, yep. we have Ron McGill on this, but nothing happens. Again, it's just this guy in Siberia, just another Russian guy, lonely, miserable, bearded, and he looks at his window, and there is, I'm not kidding, 5,000 walruses. And they're like, <laughs> like putting their heads up on the window. I'm like, oh, my God, I, I would be horrified. Like, if one of these guys gets in, I don't even know. Are they menacing animals? But I'm like, I, I got 5,000 walruses. Like, I'm in trouble. Like, 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 with those teeth, it's just... I don't know about you, but when you look at animals sometimes, you go, I just don't know how this animal was created. Like, when you look right. at a walrus up close, you go, all right, the skin, kind of like a seal, but then just gigantic no two clue. teeth. Like, what? A, just just a crazy looking animal. I think like, about how like, did you evolve to that? How did we realize? How did we end up there? Like correct. That, we needed that. Yeah, a walrus. <laughs> just two gigantic teeth and just oily slippers and swimming everywhere. And, and at one point, the guy's calling in. He's like, and, and I don't want to give it away here, but there's no plot. It's just him hanging out, looking at walruses. Like, oh, there's more walruses. And like, how did he, he calls in the guy. He goes, yeah, there's about 25,000. I go, how do you know there's 25,000 right. walruses? Really, Could be 700 or 25,000. How do you yeah, know? There's no, and at one point they say there's 95,000. I go, there's no way you have any idea there's 95,000 walruses. How could you count that many walruses? Are they doing like the the, the multiplication of like, all right, there's, there's 5,000 this way and then four this way. So they're yeah, doing like 5,000 like times maybe. four. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I can appreciate that climate change is an important issue and, and I feel horrible about it. But <laughs> you watch that film, all I just kept thinking of is just how strange walruses are. If you're a big <laughs> walrus fan, let me know. Tweet, tweet me. Let me know why you love walruses because they are just really unique animals. There's yeah. no question about it. They're, they're, just, they're just a unique – it's just a unique animal. That's I just it. want to take those teeth and just, just sharpen it up a little bit. Like let's just trim that down. Yeah, bend them a little bit. Like, what, what happens if I just bend these teeth? <laughs> oh, it's twisted. One more live-action short film, Night Ride. Eirik Tweiten and Gwaltlid Larsen. Ebba finds herself driving a purloined tram. As the tram makes its rounds, passengers come aboard and a distressing scene begins to unfold. When it seems easier to mind her own business and look the other way, Ebba is challenged to speak up in an uncomfortable situation. This one I liked, but it's strange. I want you to watch it afterwards, but I'm going to tell you what it happens anyways. Little person comes out. I'm guessing it's like, it's, it looks Dutch. Like, I, I go to the Netherlands. I'm not totally sure, but I'm definitely in Europe. Comes out, guy stops his tram, middle of the snow, comes out for a second, and he's like, you know, I'll be right back. He's going to get a coffee or something. She just, she goes, can I go inside? He's like, no, you can't go inside. Like, I'm just, give me a second. You can't go. She somehow opens the door, goes in, flips around a few buttons, starts driving the tram. He's like, no, no, stop. Whatever language we're speaking. No, no, stop, stop. She starts driving. So she just hijacked a, a tram or a train for all intents and purposes. Starts driving. She's, just, she's like, you know, it's like, it's like a comedy. Like she's pressing buttons. Oh, this is the windshield wiper. Okay, this is this. This stops this light. And then there's like a bunch of guys waiting. She goes past the stop. Eventually, they're like, hey, what are you doing? What's wrong? How can you, you don't stop? Oh, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They go on. She figures out how to stop. Goes to stop. Looks like a girl comes on wearing a wig. Kind of take a good look. I'm like, okay, I think you know, maybe she's transgender. Kind of gives her a little smile. Gives her a little wink. I'm like, okay. So she kind of smiles at her. They start traveling a little bit more. Guy goes up very masculine dude, jean jacket, starts hitting on this young lady. They start flirting a little bit. He's like, yeah, we're going to have some fun. She's like, yeah. And she, and she says, you look like you like to experiment. He's like, yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, yeah, I like experimenting. She slams <laughs> on the brakes because she, I don't know what the, the, the little girl doesn't know what she's paying attention to. Wig comes off. So it's a guy with makeup on. He's got his hair and hair. And now the guy freaks out. He's, he's very angry. How dare you? You're trying to deceive me. He's like, I, I thought you knew, like, you know, you, you said you're into experimental things. Yeah. He's like, I didn't think you were, you're a dude. He's like, you're disgusting. And then the other Frank is where they start insulting her. 
So the, the little person driving is not looking back, not sure what to do. So they're not quite bullying, but they're kind of getting in, in her face, but like, oh, yeah, you think you're a guy. You want to take him and fuck you? It sounds ass. like bullying. <laughs> yeah. Now, 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 once they drop that line, I go, okay, now it's starting to bully. Now it's uncomfortable. Then the little person's not sure what to do. And then it gets to result. I want you to watch and see what happens. But it was, it was, that, was, that was the crux of the story. So I said, okay. I got the basic takeaway was observance, tolerance, respect for others. But, but it started out, like you're thinking it's kind of like a silly little comedy here. She's just driving a tram. Yeah. And then once the wig comes off, I go, no, now, now it's, it's, it's taken a, a detour to Darktown. Yeah. And now these guys are going to start to beat her up. And oh, no, this is going to get awful. But ultimately, check out Night Ride, which is up for live action short film. Somebody tweeted the other day, I said, are you, you going to give your gambling picks? I will. I have no idea which of these films is going to win. We'll wait till we get close to the Oscars, March 12th. And of course, DraftKings will be all over it as well, all your Oscar picks. But trust me, I will give my picks for every single category including live action short film, animated <laughs> short film, uh, documentary short film, which are three of the ones we did today. And once we get close, you kind of get an idea which of these will be the favorite to win. But I think Chris and I will already tell you right now on the record, don't think The Flying Sailor is the favorite to win for animated short. <laughs> <laughs> if it is, that'd be a hell of an upset because we've seen two nominees so far and I can tell you unequivocally, Ice Merchants was better. All right, I really want to talk about Stranger at the Gate. We're going to do it now with the director, Joshua Seftel. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com
Stranger at the Gate is nominated for the Best Documentary Short Film of the Academy Awards. It is directed by Joshua Seftel and Connell Jones. It tells the story of Richard Mack McKinney, a former Marine who returns to his Indiana hometown after tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan. Struggling with PTSD and driven by Islamophobia, McKinney plans to attack a local mosque. But when he starts spending time there, encounters a faith community that welcomes and profoundly changes him. It is an outstanding documentary. I have not seen the other nominees yet, aside from Hala, but I'm telling you right now, I hope Stranger at the Gate wins. It was tremendous. And Joshua Seftel joins us now. Joshua, congrats on making a tremendous film. Thanks a lot, Anand. Great to be here. So first and foremost, a personal connection to the story. My, my friend Mark Simon tells you, you got to see this. And I'm thinking he's telling me this just because I'm Muslim. But then I actually see the story and I go, oh, my God. This eerily, very scarily happened to us in Connecticut. So November of 2015, Ted Hakey is a former Marine who is living next door to our mosque in Meriden, Connecticut. This was the day after the Paris attacks. Has a few months, too much to drink, takes out one of his guns, fires 30 shots at our mosque, and four bullet holes are found in the mosque roof. The next day, the FBI very quickly figures out who it is. They're going to charge him with a hate crime. And our local president gets a few of us together, says, all right, here's what happened. I'm like, oh, my God. And this is horrible, horrible, horrible story. And I'm thinking the next week, as you know, Friday prayers is when Muslims congregate, just as Christians do on Sunday, Jews on Saturday. And I'm, I'm doing security. And while watching your documentary, I'm having, like, flashbacks to what that moment was like, thinking what could happen next and what, wow. you know, moments could happen. So I think it's a remarkable documentary because, A, I've lived it and seen what this can be like, and your story is even more impactful because what ends up happening to Mac, and we'll get into that. But how did you first hear about this story, which sounds almost, I don't want to say in a facile manner, but too good to be true, a guy who is a villain ending up becoming a sympathetic hero? Yeah, well, that, first of all, that's wild that you encountered that experience. It's, it is very similar to our our story, and... Uh, it just shows how universal it is. Yeah. You know, we found this story in, in actually in a newspaper article, uh, a small article, and we were like, "Can this be real?" I mean, it, it, if you if you wrote a screenplay, um, and you know, with this story, people would say, "Oh, that would never happen." You know, it's it's just so crazy. I mean, this guy wants to kill Muslims. He he uh, goes to the mosque to scope it out. People are really nice to him. They welcome him in. They treat him with kindness and compassion, and he starts to change his mind. And, you know, the power of kindness and compassion in this story is just says so much about, uh, about our times and, and how maybe we need to start thinking about each other. Um, but, you know, ultimately, he, his hatred melts away, and he joins the mosque. You know, this guy who wanted to bomb the mosque and kill 200 people becomes a member. And it's just, uh, you know, it's just such, it was such an incredible story that we immediately tried to track the people down who um, who we read about in the article. And, you know, when once we met them and talked to them, it was like, it got even better. You know, it just kept getting better the more we learned. Yeah, your story goes even further than ours did. Like Ted Hakey... As you said in your story, Mac is welcomed and embraced. And same thing with Ted Hakey. Like our, our local president was like, listen, we should advocate for peace here. He's apologetic. We met with him. But he still ended up serving six months in prison. And like now has been reformed and didn't convert to Islam, but has said, hey, my, my, my misconceptions were wrong. And you guys have been great and welcoming. This story is even more remarkable to me because Mac didn't end up causing any damage to the mosque and has converted to Islam. Like it's like he went even further than you could have expected what, what, what our instance was in Connecticut. And I think... 
What's amazing about it is this. It's one thing to have that journey, Joshua, but to be that honest about it, right? It's one thing to say, here's what happened to me, but he's that, like I give him a lot of credit to have the courage and the wherewithal to go, hey, I was willing to kill a bunch of innocent people and now I am one of them. The fact he's willing to tell you this on camera to me is remarkable. Yeah, well, you know, and he went even further. He Not only did he convert to Islam, he became the president of the mosque over time. So it's like, you know, it's insane. But uh, yeah, I mean, he Mac is, Mac's honesty is really powerful. And I, you know, I look at Mac and I say, this guy is the ultimate messenger. I mean, people will listen to this guy. He served 25 years in the military, in the Marines. Um, he saw a lot of combat. Uh, he's been through a lot. He's a tough guy, um, kind of misguided at one point. And, you know, kind of found his way through the kindness of strangers. And, um, you know, it just shows the possibilities. Like, to me, you know, I don't want to get too preachy, but like, to me, this story shows, you know, we look around us and we feel all this division and hate. And it's like, where are we going as a society? Where are we going as a culture? Are we ever going to be able to like actually talk to each other and see eye to eye on things or at least coexist? Because it feels like it keeps getting worse and worse. And this, you know, this story, these people in this story, I think really show us and prove that in some ways anything is possible if we, uh, if we just open ourselves uh, to, to the kindness and, and, and open ourselves to others. And, uh, you know, things, people can change, like change is possible. And that's what I hope people take away from this film is this like just this simple idea that love you know it's it sounds kind of cliche but love conquers hate yeah. you know like martin luther king jr said it and it's it's just it's just a true it's a truism and uh this story proves it and, and it's always easier said than done like i love the people you interviewed the muslims who were at the mosque at the time because they're like some dude's coming towards us. I'm like, eh, that's where this guy is. Like, doesn't look like he's coming to say salam and like offer good wishes. He'd be like, hey, I'd like to come pray with you guys. Like, no, no. this dude's tatted up, muscled up Marine. Like, uh, some, something might go down here. Like, but I, they still gave him a chance. Yeah. But they still gave him a chance, even with those fears. Yeah, that's the amazing thing about these people. You know, like B.B. Uh, Barak, um, this, uh, this woman who's the co-founder of the mosque and her husband, Sabra Barami, you know, they're this beautiful married couple. They're Afghan refugees. Uh, they came to this country in, in the mid-80s. And, you know, they saw this scary dude come into their mosque. He was, you know, he's terrifying, this guy. Right. Uh, like you said, he's huge. He's tattooed. Um, he has like a skull tattooed on his hand. And he, he used to be a, um, a, a cage, fi cage fighter or cage match fighter. Um, and he comes in and, and they're you know, Sabra gets down on his knees and hugs the guy's legs. Yeah. You know, he just, he like showed him the ultimate respect and kindness. And the guy, the guy didn't know what to do. You know, he was like, what is going on? But it, but that started to melt his hate away, you know? And then they would like invite him for meals and, you know, have him come around and they'd invite him to their house and yeah, like, they, did they take what these conversations were about? Like, that's what I was trying to figure out. Like, what commonalities could they have with this guy? <laughs> hey, what, do you, what, do you of, what do you think of the Pacers game this weekend? Like, what are they talking to him about? I mean, that's kind of the point, right? It's like yeah. th there's, there's a shared humanity, right, that we all have that you could, you could sit with any human being and probably find a bunch of things that you share in common. 
um, or at least can talk about and, and have empathy for that other person about, you know, and we just don't spend the time doing that. You know, these days we're so quick to label other people to, you know, hear, oh, they, they have this opinion. I'm going to put them in this box. I don't like them anymore. You know, I don't even want to talk to them because they voted for this person or that person. And like, where are we, you know, that's just such a, I don't know. I think it's a bad, a bad way to be in the world because we have to be talking to each other. We have to be able to find some common ground with each other. Um, otherwise I feel like we're in trouble, you know, like, I mean, one of the things that inspires me the most is, you know, Bibi Barami, who I mentioned, who's the hero of the film, really, in my mind. She, you know, she's been touring around with the film as we show it. And what she does, she like really lives this. She lives like this idea of welcoming the stranger and just trying to connect with anyone she meets and trying to find that that shared humanity. So when when we have screenings of the film, even if there's like, 100 or 200 people there, she will bake for the entire audience. And when the film is over, she's, she stands there with her Tupperware container and she passes out the cookies to everybody. And, you know, it's just that simple act of, of, you know, sharing food and making something for someone that creates these amazing connections. And by the end of the, you know, evenings of these screenings, everyone's hugging each other and, you know, feeling love for each other. And it's just powerful, you know, like, I mean, when, when Mac, the guy who wanted to bomb the mosque, you know, once BB found out that he was planning to do that, her first reaction was, oh, okay, I'm going to invite him over for dinner. You know, who does that when you find out someone's going to kill you? Who invites them over for dinner? But she did. And yeah. he had a giant meal and, you know, he had seconds. And then she, when he was done, she just looked him in the eye and said, hey, is it true you were going to bomb us? And he confessed, you know, and he said, yeah, I, I was. And I, you know, I just was wrong. I had the wrong idea. And they bonded over you know, breaking bread. And it's just so, it's like the simplest thing in the world, but it's that idea of just, you know, sharing food, sharing conversation, just talking to each other and staying open. That is, can be so transformative. Yeah. Bibi's that type. You can just tell she lights up a room, like you said, and, and she, you're not leaving her house unless you've had three plates of food. Like that's not, that. there's no <laughs> other way about it. You better be stuffed when you get out there. Uh, my friend Mark, after he told me about the film, he goes, make sure you ask Joshua, why wasn't it longer? He said, that's the first thing I saw. I watched it. I go, why wasn't this a 90-minute movie? And I said, my guess is either resources or maybe there's a chance to have that happen. But you tell me, why isn't it a full-length feature documentary? Because it's so good. Well, I'd much rather you ask me that question than why wasn't it short. You know? <laughs> because I, you know, I think a lot of documentaries, maybe even some of my own in a few cases, are, are too long. You know, and I mean, when's the last time you, you saw a documentary and you felt like, oh, you know, I wish it was longer. It doesn't happen that often, you know, and we when we made this film, I mean, we did go in thinking it was going to be a short and part of that was resources. Uh, and then but then as we started to edit it, we were like, oh, this maybe this could be a feature. You know, and we started to, it, you know, get it up to 50 minutes, 60 minutes. And then we were like, then we started trimming away and trimming away and trimming away. And it, it kept getting better and better. And there was, there's something about this story that it's, it, there's such a universality to the, to the story. It's, you know, it's almost like a parable in some ways. 
you know, it's there's a simplicity to it, to the characters and to what happens. That's like elemental, these elemental concepts about humanity that we just found that like, as it got shorter, it just got more powerful. And I think if you can tell a story in less time and it, and you can still achieve the goals of the, of the story, then, then it should be shorter. I think it's like the Mark Twain line. So I wrote such a long letter. I didn't have time to edit it down. Like, yes. you know what I mean? like sometimes less is more is the way to go. Uh, what's the reaction yeah. been like to people seeing the film? As you said, you've been touring with the film with BB. What's that been like? It's been amazing. I mean, the, the most interesting reaction for me was when we showed it to the, the mosque. You know, we went and when we finished the film, we went to Muncie where we filmed it. And we said the first people we're going to show this to are the people who are in it, you know. And so they gathered about 80 people from the mosque to watch the film. And, you know, I was hoping they would like it. I didn't know if they'd like it. And we, um, we projected the film in the basement of the Islamic center of Muncie. And when the film was over, the, we turned on the lights and, you know, I looked around the room and I was like, what are they going to think? Are they going to like it? Are they not going to like it? And this one guy stood up uh, in the back of the room, raised his hand. And he said, I just want to say one thing about this film. He said, I think that every American needs to see this film. And when we heard that, when I heard that, I was like, okay, two things. Number one, I felt relieved. I felt like, okay, we've succeeded in, in telling this story. And number two, I felt this tremendous burden of like, okay, now I have to figure out how to get every American to see this film. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of what we're doing, you know, and having this uh, Oscar nomination only helps that, you know, it's, there's a, a light shining on this film right now. And we, you know, we really want to do everything we can to get as many people to see it as possible, because I believe, and I know everyone that worked on the film believes that, you know, this story is transformational. And I think it has the power to, to help people and to, and, you know, in some way, just, help people understand a little bit better about how our world could be. Yeah. I, I, it, it sort of inspired me. I said, you know, imagine if this could happen in other communities. Like Kanye West has been ridiculous, right? These horrible anti-Semitic comments. I go, imagine if he all of a sudden became not just a Jew, but like a leader of a prominent synagogue. And like, that's, that's how crazy your story is. That's what we need to see happen. Inspire other people to do these things. Maybe we need Kanye to see this film. <laughs> We gotta figure that out, Kanye. See this movie. Get over your religious intolerance and your ridiculousness. Uh, maybe, a- maybe you know. So Malala is the executive producer of the film, and maybe, um, maybe she can reach out to Kanye and and uh, get him to, to watch it. Who knows? Yeah. And just one thought on the Oscars. Just to your point. When people say, "Why do you care so much about the Oscars?" You know, it's a big love fest and it's narcissistic. I said, but this is why it matters. I would not have seen Stranger at the Gate unless it was Oscar nominated. And now that's Oscar nominated, it's available for free on YouTube. Everyone's going to see it. Like this is why these things are important, right? To anybody who says all oh, the awards, I go, but this is important. Now your film has notoriety in a good sense. Yeah, we see it as an opportunity. Look, whatever happens on you know March twelfth. That's fine, but we're in a position where this film is on on stage and a light is shining on it, and we're gonna try to take advantage of that by getting as many people to see it as possible and to, to do as many interviews as possible, because we made this film because we wanted people to to see and know this message and to to experience this story, which we think is is really meaningful 
and a story that I think we we as a society need right now. I think people are hungry for stories like this. We don't we're not getting these stories. We're getting stories about hate crimes and shootings and and it's all bad news and it feels hopeless. But you know, there are stories like this, real true stories like this that aren't being told and they're just as important if not more important than the the other stuff. And so the fact that we have this platform right now is, you know, we're just extremely excited about that. Certainly you should be. I mean, November 2015, Ted Hakey in a Meriden mosque. I never thought I would go into my mosque and literally see bullet holes in it. And then, as I said, he was apologetic, served his time, has been really, you know, a supporter of the Muslim community. I go, wow, this will never happen again. And then I see your documentary, I go, this takes it to a different level. So make sure you all check out Stranger at the Gate. Truth is stranger than fiction. Like Joshua Seftel said, love conquers all. And I'm going to recommend to my local mosque here in New Jersey now that we see it, just like the Islamic Center did in Muncie, because this is something that every American should see. It was really exceptionally well done. And I, on a personal level, Joshua, I just want to thank you for doing it. It's my community, so it was great to see it. And uh, best of success. I hope you win the Oscar, man. I, I, I hope it's a great, great night, March 12th. Thanks, Adnan. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, well, thanks once again to Joshua Seftel. Like I said, um, I know documentary shorts are not something people are normally excited to see, but it's available for free on YouTube. It's 30 minutes. It's yeah, a great Yeah, you got to check it out. It's really well It's done. worth it. Yeah, it was definitely, definitely powerful. And uh, like I said, Obi wins an Oscar. It's an awesome story. All right, that does it for us. As I mentioned, next week here on Cinephile, it's a movie podcast, but a little TV, nine episodes of Tulsa King. It's co-written by Terrence Winter. He's one of the executive producers. Why do I love him? Of course, he worked on The Sopranos. And it stars your favorite, Sylvester Stallone. Rocky doing his first TV show. Nine episodes. It's available on Paramount+. And Night Court is back in session. So far, the reviews, eh? The ratings have been great. We're talking John Larroquette next week on Cinephile. And Fly Eagles Fly. Until then, I'll see you at the movies.